0: This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. We are here with retired Major General Mayor Cliffy Amir, CEO and National Director of the FIDF. How are you, General?
1: Hello, I am good. I am good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful. Now, there was a lot of words in that introduction, in that title. I hope I got it accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. So, um, General, tell us a little bit, obviously, those listening don't have to guess too hard that you're from uh, the Holy Land, from Eretz Israel, from Israel. And, of course, so much of what you do and have done is bound up in tremendous love Uh, for that place and and tremendous service to the place. But tell us a little bit about where you're from uh, within Israel, where you grew up, what your early childhood was like.
1: Okay, so uh, I born and raised in the last, I can say, uh, 57 years in Israel. I was born in a place that's called Akko. It's a city, old city in in the north of Israel, uh, very close to the Lebanon border. Very nice city on the shore, famous with uh, Napoleon. When Napoleon arrived to Israel, he did the first time he was landed in Jaffa shore, and after that, he moved to Akko. And from there, he, he conquered uh, some of the places in Israel. So it's, uh, it's a city uh, with a famous port, one of the oldest ports in all the area of the shore. Uh, if you take a look about Egypt, Israel, and Syria, so it's one of the oldest ports in the shore of this area. But after that, I moved uh, to other places in Israel because my service, because my wife's service. Uh, she served in the IDF also 30 years. She's a brigadier general yeah. also. So I believe that it, I cannot find, of course, in Israel, uh, another couple that are major general and uh, brigadier general. So because of that, we used to move many times according to our service in many places in Israel around the country. But in the last, uh, I can say, uh, twenty uh, years, I was uh, I'm living in a place that's called Cesarea, Kesaria, sure, a uh, nice place in Israel, and yeah. there we raised our kids. And so, since uh, until we arrived uh, for this mission of the FIDF uh, to United States,
0: now I, Mike, I'm curious, when you say your wife has such a high-ranking position, uh, did you tell the army that you were only willing to marry a? Another general, or was it that no, no. you wanted you had to become a general so she couldn't boss you around?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it it was another story. Uh, I start my service in uh, in the Paratrooper Brigade uh, in seventy seven. I served thirty three years in my life, most of my life in uh, combat units, special forces. Uh, in my last role, I was the security advisor to the two last prime ministers in Israel, Ehud Olmert, and after that when he, he was replaced by Benjamin Netanyahu, so I stayed also to work with Benjamin Netanyahu. But when I was young in the Paratrooper Brigade, uh, I met my wife. It was very early uh, in our uh, service in the IDF. And, uh, you know, after that we decided to marry. And since then, you know, everyone in his way was raised in the IDF, promoted from one position to other position. We didn't plan it ever. Not to stay, uh, not her 30 years and uh, myself 33 years. But uh, at the end of the day, we find ourselves that she is a brigadier general and I am a major general. And yes, it's become to be something that is very famous in Israel uh, because, as I said before, it's very unique. You cannot find a couple with those kind of friends. Uh, And everyone, uh, you know, developed his career in the IDF. Uh, We came from, I can say, families that are very Zionists. And we get it from home, everyone, when he was a kid, in his home, in his family. And we grew like that all our lives because we believe that one of the most important things that someone can do, uh, of course, in Israel uh, for the country is to protect our country because, as you know, we are living in a very tough neighborhood surrounding by many Arab countries uh, in the first, I can say, circle, and after that, in the second and third circle, till Iran, thousands of miles away from Israel. And many of them, they have only one, I can say, vision, is how to destroy Israel, the only democratic country in the Middle East that contributes something not only for her people, but also for our, all our uh, neighbors around us uh, and for the world. And we believe that we need uh, to protect our country because without a strong IDF, Israel cannot exist in this tough neighborhood. So we contribute our lives to serve our country uh, in the IDF. And you know, we have only one country as a Jewish homeland, and it is Israel, and we cannot lose it. So it was before us, it's still now after us, and I believe that it will still forever. Uh, that we have generation after generation of guardians, those young men and women that put their lives day by day to protect our country and by day to protect the Jewish people around the world. It's not only about our citizens in Israel. I believe that uh, at the time that we have our country, it means a lot for all the Jews around the world, not only for them, but mostly for them. And you know, we are very close to the Memorial Day of the Holocaust this week. Yeah, uh, yes, and you know, I some of the time I ask myself what what was the reasons that something like that happened, and what was I can say change from that time to today. So I can tell you that in my opinion, it was three major uh, I can say uh, things that because of them, uh, uh, you know, we had this kind of Holocaust. The first of them is anti-Semitic. Secondly, is apathic of the leaders in the world. And the third thing is that the Jewish people around the world doesn't have their guardians, their protectors. They cannot protect themselves. So, you know, we lose 30% of our nation. More than 6 million people, kids, old people, uh, others, were slaughtered because only one reason, that they were Jews. And no one can protect them in those days. And ask myself, what was changed after 75 years, from that time to today? And I can tell you that, in my opinion, only one thing was changed. And the fact, you know, you can take a look, anti-Semitic we have today, Apathic of the leaders in the world, you can see today, Rwanda, Syria, I can name, uh, South Sudan, many, many, many things that you can see. People are murdered, slaughtered, and no one uh, is really involved or making any kind of decision to stop it. The only thing that was changed is that, thanks God, that we have today our country, our homeland, the state of Israel, and we have our protectors, the IDF. So you can understand that serving in the IDF and now in my mission to support the IDF uh, as much as we can to support the Israeli soldiers. I, it's something that, uh, for me, it's not a work, it's a mission, and I'm happy and I'm proud uh, doing it day by day, as a Jew and as an Israeli and a former general serving the idea.
0: General, you mentioned that your parents were very Zionistic, and you mentioned, of course, the Holocaust. Were your parents survivors? When did they come to Israel?
1: No, no. My parents didn't come from Europe or East Europe, so they didn't, uh, I can say... They didn't uh, was part of what happened in Europe in the Holocaust, but you know that in the last two years in Israel, also those that came from North Africa, all those countries, the Maghreb countries, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, all those countries also, because as you know, Rommel uh, was very close also to start to deal with them, I can say. And they never recognized as, yes. And they never uh, was recognized as part of all the issue with the Holocaust. But in the last two years, they, they recognized also as part of the areas that the Germans came to start or to, to try to destroy all the all the Jews there. Uh, but they came from North Africa. My mother, she came in the early 1950s to Israel with all her family from Morocco. And my father came from Tunisia. Uh, but all their lives, they dream my father, my grandfather, he was a rabbi, and all the time they dreamed about coming to Israel, coming to Jerusalem, and at the end of the day they make it and they really appreciate a lot what this country contributes to them. They came, they built some of the places in Israel, they were pioneers, and also my uh, wife family uh they came from all those areas, Egypt and uh, Algeria, and my father in law he was uh one of the First, I can say uh, special unit forces in Israel. He served with Arik Sharon in the unit that called 101. He was a lone soldier. Wow. He lived or his family. They lived from Algeria to France. And he came along, uh to serve in the IDF because he believed that if he needs to serve something, he will not serve in the, I can say, French army. He will serve in the Jewish army in Israel. And he came and he was uh, a big fighter, also, in the Paratrooper, uh, in Six Day War, he was uh, wounded. And he is a very Zionist, and all the family uh, like that. So, as I said, we have very strong Zionist roots that we get those kind of things from them. And I hope that we are raising also our kids today in the same way, because it's not for only one generation. We need to keep it forever.
0: That's true, and I know that there there is a bit of a an issue today in Israel that some people maybe complain that. We're kind of in a post-Zionist uh, generation. A lot of kids don't feel that same pioneering spirit, that same sense of duty or of, you know, of need to, to serve. Do you see that amongst the youth, or do you think that that's overblown?
1: I, I can tell you that when it's come to the youth about their service, uh, they understand 99% of them. That now is their term. They need to do what all the generation before them did, and now it's their time. And I can tell you that not like in all the places around this world, and of course, if I can compare it to the United States, uh, when a kid is, uh, you know, in his high school, and he's uh, finishing his high school, what he's thinking about is what college I will go to study. In Israel, it's not like that. In Israel, the situation, the reality is that when our young kids are completing their high school, what they are thinking is in what kind of unit I will enjoy, train I will join uh, so I can serve my country. also. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's not so much. But, but yes, after that, after that it's, a good, it, it's, a, it's a real enjoyment. But at the time that you are serving, it's not easy. It's a very tough life, of course, if you are serving in, in combat units. Uh, But they are thinking what kind of unit they will join to contribute the best as they contribute to the country. And it's something that I can say that I don't see any changes with this kind of motivation and with this kind of understanding that it's really necessary. Our situation in in Israel, our challenges in Israel are growing day by day. It's not the opposite. Uh, We have many, many traits and, as I said before, many challenges. And every one of those kids understand it because he lived it day by day. Uh, it's not that, you know, they are living in other kind of reality. And now we have from nowhere uh, an operation of a war of a war or something like that. It's something that the reality in Israel is that we face it, can say, uh, all the time. It can be from Gaza. It can be from Lebanon. It can be from Syria. It can be from other areas. So they understand exactly what is the situation, and they know that the first thing that the Israeli country needs to have before anything else is a strong IDF with high morale and morality that can protect our country and can make sure that Israel will exist, and by that, the Jewish people around the world will exist.
0: It's interesting, General, you came from uh, Sephardic countries. There's another, I guess, generalization out there but I, but I think it has some truth to it that there has been historically some discrimination against people that are from as you said the northern african countries morocco tunisia etc but at the same time it seems like you were able to rise very quickly in the ranks to a very high position did you encounter discrimination or difficulty as a result of that background when the idf was maybe dominated by the Ashkenazi elites?
1: Yeah, you know, I can say that at the beginning, when we establish our country and Jews around the world start coming to the same country, you can find this kind of difference. At the beginning, and I put it very clear, only at the beginning. I can say between uh, those that came from uh, East Europe, uh, Europe, and those are kind of areas, and other people that came from, I can say, North Africa. Uh, I can say that my grandmother, my parents, they felt it before uh, they was part of this uh, time and it was a bad time of our country, but it was only at the beginning and I can tell you that when I was born and raised, I never felt something like that. never, ever. I felt equal and with the same opportunities that any other have. And because that I heard all those kind of stories from my grandfather, grandmother, uh, my parents, what was in the beginning when they come to Israel, uh, there was like, I can say, a third or fourth class in Israel or something like that. Because of that, I get a lot of motivation to prove that no one can make any changes between people, of course, not in our country, that open her gates to all the people and the Jews that are coming from all over the world. Uh, as we are calling it in Hebrew, uh, like Betak uh, Futsal. You know, everyone comes from all the areas uh, around. Uh, and I can tell you that in the IDF, mostly, uh, it's the place till now that everyone has the same rights, the same obligation, the same opportunity. And it's only about yourself. If you are improving yourself, your, if your skills are the right skills, you can do a lot, you can promote it, you can raise it from the soldiers to be an after an officer, and high officer, and it's something that I cannot say that now, in those days, uh, you can find those kind of things in Israel. Also, uh, and I'm saying it, that I know that we have some of the people, uh, I can say, uh, in the political arena, they're trying to make it as an issue, but for me, as a one that uh, raised in Israel and lived in Israel in the last uh, 57 years, uh, at least the last three years that I'm here in United States, I can tell you that I never saw something like that, and I've, I never felt something like that. Not me, not my kids. So it was at the beginning, but after that, uh, you know, all those kind of things was fixed, and uh, you cannot find any difference between people that come from different countries.
0: That's good to hear. So now, General, you obviously. Seem to find meaning in your service because you didn't just go for three years, you continued on. What was it that inspired you to want to continue to become really a career officer? Were you in any particular operations or did you serve in any specific wars that really made you feel like you want to continue? You need to continue. What was it that drew you to a career of service instead of just the regular? Three years.
1: So I can tell you that uh, in my first, I can say, maybe 15 years in the IDF, I never thought about to have a career or something like that. Uh, And it was like that also after that because, you know, it was like every time that I get another role in the IDF, uh, in the first, I can say, 15, 16 years, it was in the Patriot Brigade and after that in many other kind of roles in different commands around the state of Israel, around the border. Uh, it was that, you know, I complete my, uh, my uh, role, and after, before I complete my role, my commanders came to me, and they said to me, you know, we need you for another ta years, and so so I signed another two, three years, and it was like that time after time, time after time, <laughs> since I completed 33 years. Uh, and it was because, I can say, because some main things that, because of that, I find myself staying in the IDF also, if it's not an easy life, as a, as a human being. Uh, first of all is that I believe, as I believe today, that to serve in the IDF, it's a mission. It's something that you get more than you give at the end of the day. And it's something that it's, it's the most important to our country, to have a strong IDF that can protect our country, to help protect our people in Israel and around the world. And it's something that all the time was in my head. doesn't matter if it was in the first year and after that in the 20 years and after that 30 years, it it all the time was, first of all, the thing that drives me, that I know that it's something that they need me, and if they need me, I'm there. As they ask me to continue and to get another role, if they want me, I will be there. Uh, and It was the same with my wife. So it's something that drives us all the time. Secondly, I knew that I'm serving in one of the best military in the world with the highest moral and values in the world. So for me, I don't have any kind of conflict about my service, what I'm doing, uh, if it's something that it's right to do or wrong to do or something like that. I know that we are doing what we are doing only because we don't have any other option. We need to fight. Maybe we need to kill our other people. It's only because that we don't have any other option. You know, we're trying to make a peace with all our never. Some of them, we succeed. Some of them, not because of them, not because of us. If it's the Palestinian or other. And, you know, it was the time after the Yom Kippur, or in 73, I don't know if you remember, but when Golda Meir talked to the Arab leaders, she said something like that. We can forgive you that you killed our kids. We cannot forgive you that you forced us to kill your kids. And it's something that can show you the values of our defense Military, you know, we called ourselves the IDF. Tsal, Zvahagan, Israel. Israeli defence force. We defend ourselves. We are fighting only at the time that we don't have any other option. And because of that, I don't have I don't find any conflict in my life when I served about my mission, how we execute them, what is our values. So it's only motivate me. Uh, to stay and to do more and more and more. And third, you know, I can say that I was a very good soldier and I believe also a very good officer. It's not that you can get a rank of major general without being, uh, I can say, and I, I, I want to stay very modest, but without success, succeed in your, in your roles during your service. And when you are succeeding and you are understanding that you are good in this field as a commander, as a leader, so it's also uh, let you a lot of motivation uh, to continue it. But, you know, if you ask me if I will prefer to do something else, if I have another chance, I will love to do other things. But in our reality in Israel, uh, when we are living in this neighborhood and surrounded by many, many, many people that doesn't want us to live there, uh, so it's something that at the end of the day, I feel that, first of all, I contribute to my country the best way that I can. Uh, and secondly, that I did it in the way that really I feel so good about all what I did. And uh, because of that, as I said before, I find myself assigning again and again and again for 30 years uh, service at the end of the day in the IDF.
0: Now, eventually, though, you did, it sounds like, uh, leave the IDF. And my understanding is that you went into the political arena. Is that, is that correct?
1: Uh, no, no. My, my last stroll, as I said, I was the military secretary of the two last prime ministers in Israel. A military secretary is something that you cannot find something like that uh, in other countries. So it's like, I can say, the security advisor to the prime minister. You are the closest one uh, when it's become to security issues to the prime minister. Uh, My uh, office, it was door to door with him. I was seeing him every day sitting with him uh, in any meeting with leaders around the world. It can be in the time of uh, Ormet, Mr. Bush, George Bush, the son. He was the the president of the United States and many other leaders. So every meeting with those leaders, you are part of it. Uh, And you are the closest one, I can say, to the prime minister when it's become to be about the security issues. Uh, In Israel, it's not only to deal with the military, it's to deal with the Mossad, like the what... I can compare it to the CIA in the United States and the Shabak, the FBI uh, in the United States and in Israel it's called Shabak. In every, uh, I can say, organization or agencies that are dealing with security, the Ministry of Defense, the police, all those kind of uh, uh, organization, you are the one that's dealing with them uh, and, uh, 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 you know, building the agenda, the, the security agenda for the prime minister. So it's a role that's a big privilege to have this role uh, because it's a decision at the end of the day of the prime minister who he want uh, That will be his guy uh, uh, sitting near him in his office. Uh, so it was a great uh, privilege to work with uh, two greats, uh, prime minister in Israel, Ormet and, Benjamin Netanyahu. and uh, for me it was a big honor uh, to serve the country, to serve them as the leader of the country.
0: So these are military positions?
1: yeah yeah, you are a major general. you are serving with your uniform. you are involved only in security issues, not in political issues, of course, in foreign affairs things because it's very at the end of the day it's very it's reflect to the security very close, but not in political issues, not about parties. you are not part of it, and you are not part of those kind of discussion, which is in the political issues, but all the security, Uh, A meeting, discussion, you are there uh, sitting near the prime minister and being part of those discussions with all those agencies and and organizations that are part of the security of Israel.
0: Any interesting stories from that period? There must have been so many people that you got to meet, so many fascinating characters.
1: yeah, Yeah, you know, I can tell it now because in israel the israeli censor uh allowed to publish it 3 weeks ago it's only one example but Not. at the time of Olmert, as you know we destroyed the syrian uh, nuclear reactor and uh it was a long process also with the americans uh at the time of uh, george bush the son and uh condy rice and uh you know all the administration of bush from the time that we realized that we find the evidence, the Israeli Mossad find the evidence that uh, they are building their uh, North Korean uh, a reactor uh, in Syria. And we came to the American and we showed the evidence to the American and they cannot ignore it. And it was a big and a long, I can say, discussion with the American what needs to be done. In our opinion, it was only one way to destroy it. Uh, the Americans at the beginning believed that maybe we need to take it to the Security Council in the in the UN and so. And for us, it was like no go because we understand that if they will take it to there, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, it it will stay as a reactor. And we will live with a reactor, a Syrian reactor, uh, very close to us. It's not you know thousand miles away. It's only 430 uh, kilometers from us, and uh, we cannot accept something like that. But at the end of the day, uh, because, and thanks to the strong bonds between those two countries, uh, Israel and the great United States of America, and those strong relationship, and I can say friendship uh, between the two leaders, Mr. George Bush and uh, Olmert, our prime minister, at the end of the day, uh, we decide to destroy it. I can say that we update the American. We don't get a permission from the American. And only when you have those kind of strong relationship between the leaders, it can be something like that when Ormet called Bush and told him, I decided to destroy it. And it was a silent of something like, I can say, you know, 30 seconds. And Bush <laughs> told him, but, uh, you know, I didn't uh, give you the permission. And Ormet told him, Mr. President, I didn't call you to get your permission. I called you to update you as a friend. And, you know, when something like that and those kind of words can be said between, you know, the prime minister of Israel to the leader of the only superpower in that time around the world. Uh, So it's only because they had so very strong relationship. And, you know, I'm talking now about the rector, but I can tell many, 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 I cannot tell many, (laughs) many, many, many other stories that we did uh, with the American, it was a great, great time of relationship between the administration. It was always like that, you know, some of the time you have better relationships, some of the time you have, you know, it's like in your marriage life. Uh, but at the end of the day, you stay as a wife General, and a husband. General, I,
0: c- I cannot relate. My marriage is always, my marriage at the highest point. <laughs>
1: Ah, okay. If my wife is listening, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm talking about general. It's not about only you. (laughs) Uh, you're, You're
0: married to a general, so you you understand.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And I can tell you that for me, you know, I can say in all my experience in my life during my service, after my service, I can say in those things I I was saying also some of the time to the prime minister that in my opinion. As an Israeli country, you know, we can have many, many, many capabilities. We build a strong country with a strong, I can say, also security, not only, but security capabilities. You know that we are a startup nation, so with great technology in security fields, but also in others. And it's very good. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that Israel had, have, and must keep it like that, is the relationship with the great United States of America. Uh, and because of that, I'm so happy to see uh, that also if you have tough times in this administration, other administration, at the end of the day, between our nation, between our people, the bond, the love, the commitment between the countries, uh, it's something that it stays. Uh, take a look what is going now. now. Uh, it's, it's a great... I can say time between the countries. It's something that we must keep it like that forever because we are sharing the same values as a free world. And I can say that if Israel will take a look around, we cannot find better alliance and friends than the American. but also vice versa. If the American will take a look around, they cannot find better friends and alliance than Israel. So it's a win-win. And I believe that it should stay like that forever. And I hope that it should stay like that forever because for the two countries, it's really, uh, uh, really, really important uh, to keep it like that.
0: It's wonderful you mentioned the United States because although uh, you are from uh, ACO and then uh, Quesaria, but you are currently now in New York and you're in New York as the CEO, as we mentioned, of FIDF, Friends of the IDF. Tell us a little bit about what that organization is, when it was founded, how you got involved, in how you came to be a part of it, and of course to now to lead it, and, and move to New York, where, of course, that's something you're doing as your full-time occupation.
1: Thank you for your question, because it's very important to me to talk about this great organization that I can say make a huge difference and changing life. Uh, of many, many, many young men and women in the IDF uh, during the service and after their service. So the FIDF, the Friends of the Israeli Defense Force, was established in 1981 by a small group of Holocaust survivors that came from Europe to the United States. And there you know, uh, uh, there was part of those, I can say, darkness days when the, I can say it was the lowest point of the humanity uh, in the world. And they survived and they come to United States and they said that if you are serious, when we are saying never forget and never again about the Holocaust, the most important thing is to support the guardians of the Jewish people and the Israeli state, the IDF. And they start, this organization, they start raising money for the well-being of the Israeli soldiers. And I want to make it very clear. The FIDF is a non-profit organization that raises money. And it's an American organization, non-profit, that raises money for the well-being of the IDF. And when I'm saying well-being, it's not to deal with any kind of equipment, ammunition, nothing with those things, because we cannot. We are working according and under the law of the United States of America. So we are helping uh, the Israeli soldiers with many, many fields. Uh, that The Israeli government and then maybe the Ministry of Defense cannot have enough money, uh, you know, to support our soldiers in that way. And when I'm talking about well-being, it's first of all education. Uh, you know, in Israel, the service in the IDF is a mandatory service. Everyone, when he has become to be uh, around 18 years old, he needs to recruit and to serve uh, in the IDF. Uh, so you can find in many units people that are coming from different levels, I can say. Uh, in the Israeli society, some are coming from very wealthy families, some coming from broken families, and they are serving in the same condition, and you can find them serving in the same unit, side by side, in the same teams. And we want to let them feel, everyone, that they have all, I can say, the needs to stay and to serve in the IDF in the best condition that they can have. So we are taking care about the education. Uh, We have six programs that we are supporting, the Israeli soldiers. Uh, With education, I can mention only two of them or three. For example, Uh, we have a program that's called formal education. You know, we are a startup nation, but around 20% of our kids, when they are recruiting to the army, to the military, they are without without high school. You can mention it, 20%. Wow, Wow. I did not know that. Uh, And we are a startup nation. When I heard this number, I was not shocked. And I have a meeting with my good friend, the chief of staff of the IDF, uh, lieutenant uh, general, Gadi Isaacut. And I came to his office and I I told him, Gadi, my friend, you can sleep well at night. And he said to me, what happened? Something happened with the series that that no one asked me about. (laughs) I said, no, no, no. It's not about that. But do you know that 20% of our kids are without high school? And he said, yes, but what I can do? I, I'm the Chief of Staff, I'm not the Minister of I can say education. And we decided in that meeting to open a program that called Formal Education, that we allowed and give the opportunity to those soldiers. they didn't complete their high school to start doing it something like four months before the end of their service, and after that they are continuing it for another four or five months after they are continuing their service. And they get their, I can say, matriculation, like the certificate. When you are completing your high school, you get your certificate, your diploma, sorry, not certificate, diploma. So uh, we are doing around 1,200 a year. And it's a great program that many of those soldiers are completing their high school and their matriculation diploma during uh, their service.
0: And they're taking back groups? Uh,
1: Yes, yes, of course. It's completing the high school and route, the matriculation. Uh, the second program is what we call the impact program that was uh, 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 the founder are from Chicago. Uh, they founded this uh, uh, program in 2002. And this program uh, offered scholarship to combat soldiers and supporters of combat soldiers, scholarship for universities in Israel, uh, that no one of them Uh, Because his uh, economic background, uh, he cannot afford the tuition to go to universities. So they have all the potential; they can do it, but no one can pay for them uh, uh, for the for the tuition. So we send we are sending every year around 14 to 1500 of them to universities in Israel. Uh, It's a great, great, great program. It's for four years. Sixteen thousand dollars for four years. You can imagine. Here, when I came, my uh, my young daughter she came with us before she recruited the army, <laughs> and I sent her to a college. I paid only for one semester. One semester. Eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand dollars in Israel for four years, and it it can be in every university around the country. For four years, you are paying sixteen thousand dollars for all the studies, and also part of the money. That they can also have something to live with and i can tell you that till now we have around 11,000 students uh, uh, that go through this program uh, it's all, it's not only that we change the lives of those kids because they have their diploma they can find a strong guy uh, a good work in israel they can beat strong families but at the end of the day we change also also the, the society in Israel, because at the end of the day, strong families build a strong society. Absolutely. So it's reflect from the soldier, from the student, till, to all the society in Israel, and it's a great program. I can tell you that, for example, every one of them needs to give back to the community 130 hours a year by volunteering in some of the organizations in Israel, those that are supporting Holocaust survivors, kids with needs, many, many things. So today, we are supporting 17 organizations in Israel in this kind of program that every one of the students need to contribute back, to give back 130 uh, hours uh, a year. And I can tell you that since we we started the program, till now, we contribute to the Israeli society more than five million hours for those organizations as part of this program. So it's not only that the students get, they are also giving back to the society and for us it's part of the values that we try uh, to let them understand as citizens young citizens in our country and the rate of success in this program is 97% 97% and why because for them is the only one and only chance that they can change their lives and they are not missing it they are doing it great time uh, and successful in this kind of program is amazing, and we are really happy and proud to have this kind of program. So it's, you know, two programs in the educational, for example, what we are doing uh, with with the Israeli soldiers. I can tell you that in 2017, more than 17,000 soldiers went through our educational program as FIDF that we are supporting the IDF. It's a huge number. How did you get involved? Other kind of how I get involved, you know, the last one uh, that was here before me, uh, he was also a general. Uh, his name is General Jerry Gershon. Uh, we served together uh, something like 25 years, uh, side by side, uh, many years in the Patriot and after. And when he completed his term, he called me and he asked me to come to be his successor. You know, and uh, after five times that I say no, you can see that I'm here because the when it's become to, to support the IDF, I cannot say no, and they knew it. <laughs> so they try it again and again and again since I say uh, yes. And I'm really proud and happy uh, to be uh, today the CEO of this great organization. I know the organization, of course, before because I serve in the IDF and we get so many things from the FIDF, so I know what they are doing and so, but it was at the part of my life that I start my uh, second career. I was a businessman for years. I built my own company. And I know that if I'm coming to the FIDF, I need to freeze all those things in Israel uh, because I cannot deal with those, uh, you know, things together. And it's what I did at the end of the day. I freeze all my uh, businesses in Israel. And uh, I decided to come back, as I said to my wife, we'll recruit to the IDF again for three, four years, and we'll be back in Israel. <laughs> so we are here to over the... The two of us, she is also working as a volunteer, of course, in the, mm-hmm. in the organization. We opened the, the woman division that she is leading, uh, taking a woman mission to Israel, uh, making a lot of briefing and you know breakfast women uh, around the country. And so, so she is also part of it uh, by uh, volunteering. And uh, for us, as I said before, it's not a work, it's a mission. And uh, as I said before, when I really seeing what we are doing, it's making me so happy. It's not an easy work. We have 23 chapters around this country. Uh, last year, we raised uh, more than $128 million for the IDF. And all the money goes to the IDF. Uh, and We are very proud of it. And yes, it's something, as I said before, uh, you know, we touch in very, I can say, uh, uh, with the full meaning, more than 80,000 soldiers in 2017, in the IDF. 80,000 soldiers. It's unbelievable. So it's something that every one of the soldiers know us. He knows what he gets from us. And I can tell you that it's a win-win from the both of the sides. It's not only that the IDF gets, also our supporters, our donors, the, the, the you know, Jews and non-Jews that are living here and supporting the IDF. Uh, for them, uh, it's also something that they get uh, a lot from it. Uh, but the most important thing I can say that, you know, when the IDF soldiers, those young men and women, understanding that a thousand miles away from Israel are people that taking care about them, they are committed to them and to the Israeli country, believed in their mission, supporting them in many, many ways. It's not only about money. Uh, it's about many, many other things that happening because of those kind of relationships. So for them, it's a boost of morale. Uh, and you know that morale is something that is the most important thing that unit, soldiers, or military uh, need to have. And, uh, you know, when those uh, young uh, men and women walking in their bases and sewing those kind of projects that you are building, you cannot find any base untouched. Uh, about the project that we are building in those uh, places in Israel, if it's gyms, uh, clubs, synagogues, uh, swimming pools, uh, sports centers, name it. Uh, and they're, when they are walking, there are seeing, you know, that this building was contributed by ta-ta-ta-ta-ta with the, with the logo FIDF, the name of the of the donors. For them, it's not only, uh, you know, to use those kind of facilities To make their life more easy during the service, but it's also the understanding and the feeling that they get this kind of support from all over the world, but I can say mostly from United States of America, and those kind of relationships between our donors, Jews and non-Jews, and the IDF in the State of Israel, it's something that builds bridges, I can say, between the IDF, those communities, and of course, between those communities to the State of Israel, and when they are coming with us uh, to our mission to Israel, and just now, in Wednesday, I'm going with another uh, mission of our supporters. It's, we call it From Holocaust to Independence. It's the biggest mission ever that we sent to Israel and to Poland. Uh, we have around 150 participants that are coming with us from the United States. We are flying to Poland, to uh, Krakow, to visit in those terrible places. Uh, in Auschwitz, in Birkenau, uh, walking in the same places that our people, you know, walk in, the, in, in, in those kind of camps. I cannot also, I, I don't know how to call them, uh, when millions of them was slaughtered there. Uh, and after that, after three, four days in Poland, we are flying to Israel for the Memorial Day and for the Independence Day. And I can tell you that those kind of missions are changing life missions. And what happened is that after the people coming with us and making all this journey uh, with us, they become to be the best advocate of the IDF and the best ambassadors of the state of Israel. And it's something that, uh, as I said before, uh, it's it's many other meanings instead of raising money. It's it's something that it's bigger than that. And it's contribute uh, for the two of the sides Many, many values, and it's a win-win, a big win-win situation, if I can, call it, uh, I can call it like that. For example, I can tell you another kind of program that you are supporting, and it's something that I want to raise it because it's so important, and for me, it's so unique. You know that in Israel, in the IDF, around the clock, we have 3,500 soldiers that called, we call them lone soldiers. There are soldiers that are coming from 60 different countries. To serve in the IDF. Young men and women that in this age of 18, 90, 20, we have also around 25, they are deciding to leave all what they have: their home, their parents, families, friends, and they are living and they are coming to protect the state of Israel as part of the IDF. I can say that I cannot find a noble decision that teenager uh uh, those youth can do in this kind of age to leave all what they have and to come to serve in the idf and we decide as an fidf that no one of them will feel alone and we are supporting them from a to z from all their needs if they uh, need to come to visit their families back home so we are buying all the tickets making all the arrangements that they can come to visit their home their parents their families to build for them a lone soldier home in israel so they can find a place to come in the weekend, to find a bed, a place to rest here uh, with the lady that cook for them the, the Shabbat dinner or making for them the laundry. So we're taking care about them one by one so no one of them will never ever feel alone because they contribute so much. And you know, you're a rabbi and I want to say something about it. You know what it remind reminds me of the lone soldier? It reminds me what it's called parashat lech lecha, you know, when the sure. voice of God ask for Abraham, leave your leave your homeland, your family home, everything, to the land that I will show you. And for me, what those young men and women are doing as lone soldiers is the same. But it's not only thanks to the voice of God. It's part of it. But it's mostly because the voice of their hearts. They are Zionists. They grew in their homes. The roots with our heritage as Jewish people are so strong that at the end of the day, they are living all what they have and they are going to serve in one of the places, I can say one of the sensitive areas around this world, one of the places with so many, I can say, risks, traits, and challenges. At the end of the day, they are doing it. And from United States, is one of the biggest numbers that we have. It's around between 800 to 1,000 of them coming from the United States. So you can understand the meaningful of the Jewish people that are living here and how it's important to keep our roots, our heritage as a Jewish people forever.
0: General, perhaps you could say that, you know, you say it's not the voice of God, but the voice in their hearts. Sometimes I believe the voice in our heart is the voice of God. and uh, I totally agree with you. You know, it could be one and the same. Can you, in closing, <coughs> can you uh, relate to us any stories of any, in particular, lone soldiers that you know of, just to sort of personalize, to put a face to it, what somebody might experience or what somebody might go yeah. through to serve?
1: Yeah, you know, I can say that the issue about the lone soldiers came to the mind of the Israeli people in the last operation that we had in Gaza, Protective Age. And I can say that it's come to their mind because four lone soldiers was killed during Protective Age. And I can tell you that every one of them have a so unique story. What drive him to come? Uh, you know, it's not only about them. It's all also about their families. You know, take a look. I can I can compare it to myself. When I was living in Israel, I was serving in the IDF as a general. My oldest son, he he started his service in the IDF. He was in the paratrooper brigade in the same unit that I started my career in the IDF. And also that I know most of the time where he is, what he is doing. And at the end of the day I was very close to him. What is uh, you know, to go from Kesaria to all the areas around the country. Uh so something that used to make the lives more easier. But I was very concerned because at the end of the day, he's serving, I know in combat unit it's not easy and the risk has big risk. So let's think about parents that their kids are serving in Israel, in this, I can say, uh, very tough neighborhood, and they are thousand miles away from them. So it's not only about the own soldiers, it's also about their parents. And we are taking also uh, care about their parents to make them more updates and so about their kids and help them in, if they have any issues about it. But I can tell you that one of the stories in those kind of funerals in Israel was with a, a lone soldier. His name was Sean Carmeli. Sure. He was a lone soldier and he killed in Gaza. He was in the Golani uh, uh, Brigade. And uh, he was, uh, he, he like a team, a, a soccer team in Israel that called Maccabi Haifa, one of the best soccer team in Israel. And one of the players in the soccer team know him. I don't know how it was, but he know him in any way. And when he heard that he was killed and his funeral need to be, to be in Haifa very lately at night, he published in the website that he asked from everyone that can come to his funeral to come because he's a lone soldier without any family in Israel, of course. His parents came from the United States to the funeral, but no more than that. And I can tell you that more than 25,000 Israeli people that doesn't know him, doesn't know about him, nothing, came to salute him in his last way. And it can tell you the story about the understanding of the Israeli people, what those young kids are contributing to our country. Because, you know, we are saying that our kids, they are living in Israel, it's a, you know, mandatory service, as I said before, for all those other lone soldiers that are coming from 60 different countries and one of the biggest places from the United States, they don't have any kind of obligation, formal obligation by law to come to serve. And they are doing it because they believe. They they need to protect the Jewish homeland. They are Zionists in their spirit, and they are coming, they are serving in the best way, and some of them also, as I said before, you know, paying the ultimate price. And we need to salute them. We need, you know, to honor them. We need to recognize them, them and their families, because it's, as I said before, it's the noblest decision that families and, of course, kids in those age. Can make to leave all what they have and to come to serve the Jewish country.
0: General, in closing, what is on the horizon for you personally? Is this something that is a long term position? Do you see yourself staying in the organization for a long time? Is it only a temporary post, so to speak, and you'll go back to business interests in Israel? What are your sort of dreams and aspirations as you're still a, a young man?
1: Uh, Yeah. yeah. First of all, uh, when I when I decided to come and to be the CEO of the FIDF, I signed for three years. But last year we did something that was the first time in the FIDF. We planned a strategic plan for the next four years. It was a a great initiative to the organization. Uh, And yes, also in the last three years, like like it was before, uh, we are increasing our uh, achievement year after year. So the members of the leadership, of the lay leaders. The chairman, the president, others came to me and asked me uh, to stay for another two years. And after a lot of thinking, I decide doing it. So I will stay for the next two years till the end of 2019. And after that, uh, I want to go back to Israel. You know, all my <laughs> family is there. My, I have three kids there. Uh, my uh, my granddaughter, uh, she's six months, she's there. Wow, beautiful. Uh, all my family is there. At the end of the day, you know, I love United States. I love what I'm doing, but my country, my place is Israel, and I miss Israel a lot. Uh, you know, I believe that I can contribute uh, more, not more, but I can contribute in other fields also uh, for my country in Israel. Uh, and I believe that also to be here five, six years, it's a good term that I'm living here. Things that other can take it and take it for the next level, everyone in his term. Uh, so it's something that I believe that I will be here in the next one, two years. And after that, I will return back to Israel and I will take a look what are the, the best things that I can do also there for my country.
0: If you stay too much longer, General, you might lose your accent.
1: Ah, 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 ah. thank you for that you remind me that i'm in israeli (laughs) you know some of the time you know i here i'm taking cabs to move from one place to other place i'm not driving and every time that i start to talk they're telling me ah you are from israel (laughs) and i miss how do you know ah your accent so yes thank you for that
0: Well, finally, General, you know, I know that you're far from home and Libcha B'mizrach, you wanted to back. Have you found the good shawarma in New York?
1: Ah, yes, I find uh, Dr. Shawarma. It's a good place. But let me, if I can, close uh, with some word about Please. the time that we are living now in. And you know that we are celebrating this year 70 years of our independence. When i taking a look about Israel, for me, is a miracle, to live in this kind of place, surrounding for tens of millions of Arabs, uh, Muslims, some of them are nice people, some of them are very radicals. And during those kind of conditions, in the last 70 years, all the wars, operation, all what we had in Israel in the last 70 years, to build this kind of country with those kind of achievements, Uh, It's something that I can say that I cannot compare to any kind of stories of nation in the history. And I can say that we need to keep it like that. We have only one country, only one homeland. The Jewish state is Israel. And we must keep it like that. And we must be sure that we are doing better year after year. And we are contributing to the civilization, not only to our people, in all the fields, if it's about health, if it's about uh, agriculture, it's about, name it. And the only way that we can do it is by staying united. As a Jewish people, as a free people in this world, uh, with America, with the Europe countries, the democratic countries, the, the, what I call the free world. And only if we'll keep it like that, staying together, side by side, with strong bonds, I can say that we can face all the challenges that now it's not only about Israel. It's about the free people against the other side of the world. And uh, it's something that we need to understand it. And it's something that it's happened, but we need to keep it like that forever. To stay united and to understand that only if we stay united as a free people, we can face all those kind of challenges that we are facing now if it's from the radical Islam, ISIS, name it, many, many kind of groups, but they have the same vision and the same mission to destroy us as a free people. So I hope, and I wish to all of us that at the end of the day, we'll stay contributing each to other. And, uh, you know, facing all those kind of challenges staying so strong as a free people uh, in this world.
0: Amen. And all I can say is thank you for your, Many decades of service in the military and now at the forefront of a movement that is supporting so many thousands of people who, in turn, can protect our holy and sacred land. And a great expression of Hakarat Tov, of gratitude to you and best wishes for continued success in your remaining time in the United States and once you return back to Israel, where I know more wonderful things will await. Certainly great shawarmas, but hopefully many more meaningful endeavors as well. Major General Cliffy, Amar, thank you so, so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at jewsyoushouldknow.com. And subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at Jews You Should Know. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that, and you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/Jews You Should Know. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews You Should Know.